Well, it's here. The Bucks rookies have reported, and Devin White, their first-round pick, has signed his four-year contract with the fifth-year option. The veterans report on Thursday. The first training camp workout is Friday. We've got all the questions the Bucks need to answer during training camp and beyond as we break down the start of the 2019 season. And the Rays managed to win a game, but they lost their series against Chicago White Sox. They did win on Sunday thanks to Travis Darno again with a grand slam and six shutout innings from Blake Snell, but they are on the outside looking into the wild card in the American League. And we had Baseball Hall of Fame inductions in Cooperstown on Sunday in the Open Championship in Ireland, crowned one of their own. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor a part of this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are having great success, and you will too. Now, here's what you do. For information, contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you be part of our team. All right, we're going to get to the Bucks. so hang in there just a minute. Let's talk about the Rays real quickly. Um, Steve, this is as uh, this has to be, by all accounts, the low point of, this, of their baseball season. You know, you go through some ebbs and flows. Um, I'm not sure they're going to recover from where they're, where they're headed now. They did win on Sunday. They won one out of three games against the Chicago White Sox, which is not a good baseball team. It's a team that they should have at least won a series off of and needed to coming off that Yankee series. Um, but really, you, they lost in every way imaginable that you don't want to lose the first two games. You know, they had gotten home late. They made a bunch of errors. Uh, you know, they didn't hit very well. They got blasted 9-2 to two on Friday, then but Saturday. That was expected. The Friday game, and, yeah, and going into bit. the game, I said, look, uh, Brendan McKay was up, and you hoped he pitched well. And he pitched mm-hmm. okay. I wouldn't say he pitched great. The defense completely let him down. But it was a team that just lost three in a row to the Yankees played a straight doubleheader the day before that was delayed by an hour and a half getting started, or hour 20 minutes. They got home at 4.30 in the morning. That's when they landed. Figured they got into bed at 5.30, 6 o'clock maybe. Um, you know, they, they they were sleepwalking through that game Friday night. And it was kind of expected and, and, you know, okay, so you lose that game. The heartbreaker was losing the Saturday game. Oh, that was bad, yeah. You know, and, and you take a one nothing lead into the ninth inning which you should have scored more than one run. I mean, and, and the bullpen is, you know, you can blame the bullpen for that loss. And look, you have to hold a one-run lead in the ninth. But you've got to score more than one run against the White Sox. Well, and especially since they had the leadoff man five or six innings in a row. Uh, I seven mean, were, innings, straight innings. Was it seven? The third straight? through the ninth, they've got seven straight innings. And the only run they got was a leadoff home run by Garcia, which, holy cow, if you didn't see that home oh. run. Oh, Titanic. Statcast put it at 438. Not even close. Which then they revised it to 459 feet, which still isn't right. (laughs) Still not close. It hit the 2008 banner on the fly. Right. When you go to Tropicana Field next time, folks, and and I know some of you don't get down there very often, but when you go, just look to the left field at the top of the stadium and see where the 08 uh, American League banner is and and recognize that he hit the D-ring and it hit that on the way down. Okay. So... I mean, if there had not been a wall there, I don't know, he hits it to the Skyway Bridge. I mean, that thing was, uh, I mean, it was the longest home run I think I've seen at that building. I know it's not by StatCast's, um, you know, discernment, but it was, it was really a, a titanic shot. So they're up one nothing. There's two out in the ninth, nobody on, two strikes, I think, or one or two strikes on the hitter. And, uh, of course, uh, Pagan gives up the home run. And then the weird, the, the really awful way to lose – 
um, is that you go to extra innings, and I believe they had a, a walk or a leadoff guy gets on or something like that. Anyway, he's running on the pitch, and um, they have the shift on. They get a little dribbler through the right side, and the man scores from first base on a ground ball, and that's being generous. It was probably about a 21 hopper. But, you know, your right fielder was playing too deep and, and uh, trying to take away a double and all that sort of thing. And literally he was able to score from first base on a ground ball through the right side of the infield. So um, that one stung a little bit. But then finally on Sunday they did get one uh, and didn't do much offensively, and that's sort of been where they are right now. They're in a tremendous spunk offensively, leaving, leaving guys on base all over the place. They're, they're, they're you know hitting with runners in scoring position is awful. But Blake Snell did a good job. I mean, he got out of a jam in the first inning, which he created, and um, managed to shut them down there. And then, you know, pitched six innings of shutout ball, only gave up uh, two or three hits, I think. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, you know, the Rays were able to, uh, to win again. And how about Travis Darno with the grand slam? Only one of three hits all came in that, that same inning, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, and you said it before the pocket. I mean, the guy, the last two wins they've had, He's hit four home runs and driven in all nine. One yeah. player. The Yankees, uh, the five runs in Monday night's game against the Yankees in game one of that series. And then Sunday he gets the four runs as they win four to two. Uh, the offense non-existent outside the second inning. Did no hits the rest of the game. Those three hits in the That's second right. were the only hits they got. Um, That's right. A couple walks. but And that was a really good inning, though, because, I mean, J- you know, Joey Wendell's walk to load the bases. It was a 10-pitch yeah. at-bat, one of the best at-bats we've seen from him in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a lot of good things that happened in that second inning, but that was the only inning they did anything offensively. Uh, Blake's not, but yeah. let's go back to Saturday too. A couple mm-hmm. of things we left out. Ryan Yarbrough, his last Lights six up. games, his last six games now, 27 and a third innings pitched three earned runs. That's less than a one ERA. It's incredible. 16 hits and two walks in those 27 and a third innings. He has been spectacular yeah. for the last six games for that team, and then and what I like, okay. what I like about him real quick on Yarbrough is the fact that we're in an era of power arms, right? Everything's about velocity, hit velocity, velocity of pitches, spin rate, all that stuff. All what Ryan Yarbrough does, if he if he hits ninety miles an hour, it's it's an upset, right? But all he does is paint. He's the guy that we used to call, you know, he's just going to paint. He's got movement on everything, um, a big breaking ball, but he can he can locate in every pitch has a purpose you know i love these guys that that go up there and and you know even if they're trying to waste one oh and two or one and two it's close enough to the plate where the hitter has to respect it in other words it has a purpose you know he doesn't waste everything they're competitive pitches um you know that's what charlie morton talks about and that's what yarborough does with no velocity whatsoever compared to the other guys in the major so i love the way he's throwing yeah, no, he the last six, you know, his appearances and some of them starts, you know, last Sunday he was the, you know, the second guy in on that perfect game that went to the ninth inning. Sure. Um, but, yeah, no, he's been pitching well. But then Kevin Kiermaier Ugh. comes in as a defensive replacement late in that game, and it's mm. an infield hit, and he sure. slides into first base and jams the thumb. The different thumb than yeah. what he hurt last year. It's the opposite yeah. thumb, but – you're Kevin Kier. I, I, I know. Look, I know he's hustling. He's trying to win. You're only up one nothing. He's trying to extend the lead. I, I get that, and I love the hustle. But first of all, you should never slide into first base. Never. Uh, but never. But Kiermaier, who's hurt his thumb previously sliding into bases, and when you're 
going to first, you don't have your your mid on anymore that you mm-hmm. wear on the bases. You can't mm-hmm. slide in there. You're up one nothing. Your health means more to this team than that run or that that man on base is going to mean. Exactly right. And the thing is, is that you know he got hurt uh, sliding feet first into first base. Um, I think a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how how long it's been. And of course, he jammed his thumb, you know, a year ago, and and was out for a good period of time with the with the thumb injury, ligament damage, uh, sliding into second head first. It's one thing to slide head first into bases. I don't recommend it, but I mean, if you do it, you do it, and that's the risk you take, I suppose. But it's it's different if it's second or third base. The only time you should even attempt to to try to avoid a tag by going down is if there's a throw that takes the first baseman into the baseline and you you react to him and can get underneath his sweep tag. That's really it. But even then, you're taking a hell of a risk. I mean, I don't think you're getting to the bag any faster by diving. I really don't. Um, Kevin Kiermaier can run and runs well. And not when you can run through the bag because when you dive, you're still slowing your momentum down. You are because you're you're stopping yourself by by obviously you know just just basic physics right. There's more drag on the bases than your feet, so you're slowing yourself down. And it wasn't like a sweep tag or a bad throw or anything like that. No, he was just trying to win a foot race, you know, from from the first baseman essentially. And I just I mean, if I'm Kevin Kiermaier and my career is essentially, you know almost defined at this point by the fact that I can't play more than 100, 110 games in my in, in a season, and my team needs me to play center field, to do some of those things on the bases, to, you know, uh, to hit. Uh, and he's having a bet, one of his better years, or was, as far as hitting with runners in scoring position. Hell, they don't have anybody who can do it now, so they, they could certainly benefit from him being in the lineup. You can't do anything to get yourself out of the lineup. And it's instincts. I know it's his instincts and, and his hustle and all that. You love it. You love the way he plays the game. You don't love him ever sliding into first base. If you could eliminate that, um, you know, he would he would be healthier for a couple of seasons now. And so the good news is that uh, they don't think he needs surgery. It looks like he's going to miss anywhere from 10 to 15 days, but you just don't know. And rest assured, too, with a thumb injury or anything with your fingers or your hands, I, I could just tell you from experience that – you may come back and you know when, when the allotted time is up, but you do so much with your hands in the game of baseball when it comes to hitting. And I I've swung a bat with hands and with you know thumbs and fingers that have hurt me before. You just you just don't have the, the same the same grip. You don't have the same sort of um, you know finish with your swing sometimes. And so I hope, you know, who knows how this will affect him when he does come back or how long he'll be out. But if you're Kevin Kiermaier, for goodness sakes, you got to do everything you can to try to stay in the game. Now, you know, we've seen him make these incredible catches this year, slamming into the wall. He didn't get hurt, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know he's going to play the outfield that way. And he's gotten hurt diving for balls and has broken his wrist before. So, you know, you, you got to kind of know, I guess, what the risk reward is. And in a one run ball game, all you're going to get is first base. You know, mm-hmm. you're just going to get to first. You're, it's not a home run. You're not scoring. You're not sliding in the home trying to win the game in the ninth inning. You know, there, there, there are times you just need to pick, you know, when to live to see another day. And he just doesn't have that gene, man. He just he is going to continue to do whatever he can, and it doesn't seem to matter what base he's going into. But barreling into first like that, the very few times does a good thing happen. And, mm-hmm. and to, for Kevin Kiermaier, it never happens good. Well, and then, and, and, you know, the carryover to Sunday, so – the Rays are up 4 nothing in the seventh inning. Andrew Kittredge comes in, and I believe he gave up a walk 
in, in the inning. And yep. then Sanchez comes up and hits a triple to right center field and yep. scores a run, and then he eventually scores. But had Kevin Kiermaier been in that game, that, pro- that ball's probably caught. Garcia couldn't reach it, but Kiermaier would have caught right. that, and it would have stayed a 4 nothing game in that inning instead of being 4-2. And then That's you start right. to get worried as Pagan and Caleric came in, and they ended up getting the hold and the save. But, you know, his absence affects you tremendously. I mean, you know, like Avisel Garcia looked okay in center, but he doesn't have nearly the range Kiermaier does and probably no. cost them two runs in that seventh inning. Yeah, yeah. And so now... Steve, they find themselves out of the wild card race right now. I mean, they're in the race, but they're they would not if the as they say if the playoffs started today. They've gone from leading the American League East for a couple of months um, to falling too far behind the Yankees to make that even a, a race to now being run down from behind almost by the Red Sox, who they begin a series with now and actually play twice, I think, in the next uh, ten days or so. Mm-hmm. And you know, they would not be in the postseason with either wild card. Cleveland would host if, Oakland if, in the wild card game. The Rays are that? a game behind Oakland at this point. Yeah. So, and here's what I don't know, and I'll just I'll, we'll move on to the Bucks here in just a minute. But I, I what I don't get is all I've heard is how active the Rays have been, and I know it takes two to tango, and how much you're going to give up, and all this sort of thing. But you know what? They've lost ball games because they did not address that bullpen, and they have lost games because they could use another bat if one was available. And, yeah, they try to get Edward Encarnacion and where would you go if you're him and all that sort of thing. Um, however, it, it just seems as if now, okay, well, you're, you're all but out of it. I mean, you know, you're still in the wild card, I guess. But the way they're playing, in fact, the way they played, really, if you go back and look at, like, the last, I don't know, 60, 70 games, I think they're at best a 500 ball club. You know, I mean, it was it was a hot start that that has helped their record and kept them 12, 13 games over 500, which is not shabby. Um, but they have not been good for a while. And now I think they're trending the other way. And um, it just, you know, I, I don't know what if the front office has any ideas of, of helping this ball club. Now would be a really good time to do it. <laughs> you know, don't wait too long or, you know, you'll be in Montreal before you before you know it. Well, the thing is, and, and this is where you wonder. Because it seems to be a seller's market right now, if the prices are just way too high for everyone, because there hasn't been a lot of deals made. There I mean, hasn't. It's there been hasn't. you know fifth starters and and Kastner that went to to Boston right. and Homer Bailey goes to Oakland and you know you're not getting marquee players to this point that have been traded. And, well, and I, I, I don't know if it's just it. because it's a seller's market. I don't know if mm-hmm. without the August window this year, you can't make trades in August. It used to be after the July 31st deadline, you could put players through waivers, and if they cleared, then you could trade them in August. You can't do that this year now. So I don't know if that's got teams hesitant at this point or the seller's asking too much because they know that the time crunch is coming and, you know, there's, you know, essentially nine days left at this point to make a trade. You can't wait to that August window and potentially make trades now. So I don't know if that's affecting it, but there hasn't, it's not like there's been a lot of big trades in the Yankees or or the, the, uh, the Yankees have you know gotten those players and the Rays didn't, or Boston or whoever else. It's th- those mm-hmm. players haven't been traded yet. Well, and I think there's still a lot of teams trying to figure out if they're buyers or sellers. You know, because um, there's so many teams in contention. That's part of it. The White Sox, the team they played over the weekend, has a lot of guys who don't have contracts after this year, and they're going nowhere. You know, so you would think that, you know, even uh, even uh, Colome might be a guy that gets dealt someplace, but. Again, it's a combination of, you know, 
what are you willing to give up for these guys to rent a player and that sort of thing? I, so. I don't think the Rays. I mean, in my opinion, and I don't, I have no inside knowledge of this, but I don't think they're interested in a rental. I think they're interested in players they can control for two or three years. I agree. Yep. The price goes higher on those, but yep, uh, you know, if you look at the way this Rays team is built. They were good last year. They were built to be better this year, and they're built to be better next year than they are this year. When you start looking mm-hmm. at the younger players getting more experience and more, some sure. you know the Brent Honeywells and the Anthony Bondas and some of those you know Nate Lowe getting more time up here and and more mm-hmm. guys coming up that this team is built to be. This isn't like their peak at this point. They're built to no. where you expect them to be better next year than they are this year. To give up prospects for this year only. I don't think to them makes a lot of sense that they're going to be no, looking I, for guys that have more control over, which those guys, maybe it's going to take longer to, to make those deals for the, the, the teams to get rid of them. Cause they want as many bidders as possible. Exactly. Right. I think that's, that's the case. And, and if the deals could have been made, they would have been, but in the meantime, the Rays going to have to find their game again and try to get back on track. And we'll know if the Red Sox can run them down because they got a couple series with them coming up here pretty quick. Uh, in in short order, so uh, it was a, it was not a good weekend for them. Um, but rest assured, you don't have to pay too much attention to the race because you got the Buccaneers starting up. Uh, unbelievably, the rookies reported on Sunday. It seems way too soon for me. Um, but uh, we also had uh, Devin White signing his contract. He's the last player that was not under contract, so ninety guys now are. Um, you know, he signs a, a four year deal. It's got a, a fifth year club option, like all you know, first round picks and it is fully guaranteed. Um, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, some sad news for him. I'll just get this out of the way. Um, it's not funny because it's such a big part of his life, but you know, we, uh, we've done stories uh, at the draft and, and when he came in everything, you know, he's, he's a guy that, uh, that has, that has horses. He rides horses. He's been doing it since he was five years old and he's had this one horse who's his favorite Daisy may. And unfortunately, uh, really like on the eve before he came to Tampa, um, uh, he put something on Facebook. He posted that, um, I guess the horse had become dehydrated and had a tough time getting through the night. And, you know, we know that, uh, you know, you got record heat and things going on. Um, but he lost his horse. This was his, his favorite horse, his first horse. And, um, and so anyway, she, she passed and he was very emotional about it. He said he cried for like 10 hours. So, I mean, this, 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 uh, animal meant everything to him. So, Kind of a tough way to start your career. He was. I don't think he was going to bring uh, bring her down and some of his other horses down, and you know until he got through his rookie year. He said he wanted to you know concentrate on football and they were well well cared for up there, et cetera. But uh, bad timing for him. So on that sad note, um, you know the good news is is that the Bucks are back. We've got Bruce Arians' era is about to begin for real, and uh, of course football is is happening all over the place. So I wrote a. Uh, I wrote a column. You have a chance to check it out on uh, TampaBay.com. Uh, feel free. We'll go through some of the – you know, there's some questions that are facing this team. And, you know, I've seen them pick anywhere from, you know, 3-13 and 13 to 9-7, and seven, whatever. Everybody's got predictions. They're not worth, worth much this time of year. Um, but there are some things that will go a long way in determining just how good they're going to be. Um, and so I just want to kind of run through uh, a little bit of those and give you a bit of an abridged – version of uh of what we're talking about i think you know the first thing we're going to find out when the veterans report on thursday 
uh, is just maybe what the status of Jason Pierre-Paul is. Uh, he was such a big piece of their defense a year ago. It was a bad defense. He was very good, 12 and a half sacks. Um, but we remember that he had the uh, cervical fracture that he suffered when he uh, his Ferrari spun out there on I-95 on May 2nd. He's been, uh, from my information, in a neck collar pretty much ever since. Uh, the thought was that they would wait about 11 weeks, which is now, um, to see if those if that fracture began to heal on its own. Um, that was the hope anyway. Uh, he'll be evaluated when he comes in. Every player has to take a physical. He won't pass that physical because he won't be cleared for football no matter what. So he will go on the non-football injury list. Um, but the question will be whether or not that it's healed to the point where they think he won't need surgery. And even if he doesn't, um, you know, Bruce Arians has said he doesn't expect him back until October at the earliest. And if he does need surgery, obviously he'll be out for 2019. But uh, you don't you don't want to count this guy out because we know what happened back in 2015. We had the fireworks accident. He wound up coming back. Uh, despite losing several fingers in that horrific accident and, and wound up playing that very same year. So they don't want to rush it, but we're going to find out whether JPP uh, is is going to have a chance to play this season. So that leaves the question of like, you know, okay, so if he's gone, who's going to pick up the slack, you know? And you're talking about 12 and a half sacks, which isn't easy to, you know, to, to account for because we know that he was the first guy to have more than 10 in a season since Simeon Rice. Uh, fortunately, I guess for the Bucks, you would say that uh, they've changed schemes. You know, what was traditionally uh, defensive end rushing from the edge uh, is, is a little different. So they're going to run a 3-4 defense. Uh, that means that Pierre Paul and others would be considered outside linebackers. They bring pressure from linebackers. They bring pressure from defensive backs. Um, you've got Carl Nassib, who had six sacks a year ago. And so, you know, he's a high-energy guy, so he'll be kind of a tone setter. Um, they've also got you know guys like Noah Spence who might be a better fit for this defense. They signed Shaq Barrett in the offseason. They drafted Anthony Nelson from Iowa, so they got some guys. Um, but you know, I think I think it's going to depend, um, you know, mostly on on you know dialing up pressure as opposed to just you know four guys getting after it off the line of scrimmage. So they'll 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 run the games. They'll they'll run the blitzes, and and even if you don't get home. The idea is to pressure the quarterback, confuse the defense or confuse the offense, and that's you know that's really where Todd Bowles is going to have to be uh, a big part of, of what the what they do schematically to account for not having uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. Because I think what'll be uh, you know even if he is cleared to play in uh, a couple of months and he misses the first couple of months, you still have to wonder you know how they start the season is going to be huge for them and huge for him um, because does, you know do bring him back? He's going to be a non-football injury. Um, you know, there's some compensation involved that you may not have to pay. So if they start out, you know, two and four or two and five or something, uh, maybe maybe they put them on IR. I don't know how that's going to affect, but it's something we're going to have to watch. Uh, of course, you you don't have Joe McCoy anymore. I mentioned Devin White. There's got to be a a vocal leader on that defense. Uh, there's you know Levante David is is sort of the the sage veteran now. Um, a lot of young players in front of him, of course. You know, now you also have Indomitian Sue, who's over here, but just here for one year. Never been a real, real verbal guy, at least on the field and, and sometimes in the locker room. But Devin White is going to be such a big part of, of this defense for years and years to come. Uh, and, and everything you, you, you read and you see about the guy uh, tells you that he is special. Now, you know, uh, Ed Orgeron, who, you know, Coach Ray Lewis uh, was on that staff at Miami and was with Patrick Willis at Old Miss has compared him to those two guys in terms of his leadership and his playmaking ability. 
that's really, really um, sort of almost unfair in some respects, especially with respect to, uh, you know, to Ray Lewis to compare him to a first ballot Hall of Famer. But it shows you the kind of company that, that uh, he's kept, uh, at least coming out of LSU and, and being a top five pick. So he will be uh, the voice and the face of this defense. He won't have any trouble telling older guys what to do, even though he's 21. Um, and he, uh, by all accounts, including uh, Arians, says that he has not had any trouble, uh, you know, jumping into it and getting command of what they're trying to do. So it's going to be a lot of news and a lot of stories about, you know, that defense, and, and Devin White's going to be at the center of it. But the other guy that's going to be part of this and a question that they have to find out is, you know, is Vita Vea ready to step up? Is he ready for his close-up? Because we know Gerald McCoy is gone, and, yes, Sue is playing next to him. But, again, a one-year contract, an older player who knows how much longer he plays. Vita Vea was drafted in the first round for a reason. He was 12th overall. Um, that was a few spots ahead of, of uh, Chargers Pro Bowl safety Derwin James. And the Bucks liked both players. Um, James obviously became a Pro Bowler as a rookie, um, but they thought the value of the position, a defensive tackle, with Vea, especially with McCoy getting up in age, that this was the way they wanted to go. And, you know, Vita last year got – you know, had the calf injury first day in pads, missed the next seven weeks, came back and played 13 games, but um, he wasn't really very good until about the last five or six. So he's got to step up, and um, he's not a rah-rah guy. He's kind of quiet, um, but his play on the field, you know, has to lead them, especially with that interior defensive line along with uh, Indomitian Sioux. So, um, you know, the big story, the, the reason why Bruce Arians is, is here is because of Jameis Winston. So one of the questions would be, you know, can Arians and Byron Leftwich help Winston especially cut down on turnovers? And, you know, turnovers are going to happen. The theory that Arians and other have, others have espoused is that, well, you know, when you're down, you know, 21 points in the fourth quarter, you really can't blame everything on Jameis. But that hasn't always been the case. Jameis has also – uh, helped get his team, you know, in a deficit early in games because of decisions that he's made. Um, but, you know, if you look at his numbers, he's improved each season. Uh, you know, until he threw four picks against Cincinnati, which ended up getting them benched, he was on his way to the fewest interceptions of his career. Now, you know, he missed three games, so that's part of it, but he finished with 14. So I know Clyde Christensen, their quarterback's coach, is really high on Jameis. I know that uh, Byron Leftwich is as well. Um, but they're going to have to, uh, you know, do a better job using their running game, uh, getting the ball out of his hands. He's not going to have as much time or protection because Arians likes to get five guys out. But, you know, the biggest thing with Jameis Winston, everybody would agree, uh, are the turnovers. And it's a team game, and there's reasons for that. But he's the guy with the football, right? So he's going to have to learn how to cut down on that. Um with respect to the running backs, a big question is is all about Ronald Jones and and whether you know he will, uh, you know, overcome that horrible rookie season. He was a second round pick out of USC. Could he win the starting job over Peyton Barber? I don't think he will, at least to start this season. But he has said that he wants to lead the team in rushing. So uh, for him to do that, he's going to have to get on the field. The weird thing is like he's bulked up now to 221 pounds from 208. Um, you know, says it's all muscle, uh, remains to be seen whether that's, you know, a good weight gain for him or not. It does show that he's been working hard, but it was his, you know, sort of his explosiveness that has led the Bucks to draft him in the first place. So I do know this, that Jones needs to start fast. You know, a year ago he came in from USC, he was barely 21 years old, and he told me and others that he said, you know, look, I, I didn't realize that sort of, 
you know, he thought his draft status and what he had accomplished at USC would, would you know, get, earn him the right to, to play more, to, to get more chances. And what he didn't understand is that you got to show up and make plays in practice. You got to make plays in preseason games. And he really didn't do that. So I think there's urgency on his part. All the reports have been good, but he's got to start fast. And I think, you know, his rookie season probably helped him grow up. Now, it wasn't all his fault. He had 44 total yards and a, and a uh, touchdown, but I'm here to tell you in about half his carries, he was hit at or behind the line of scrimmage. So clearly blocking was an issue, but Ronald Jones is going to be a big story this year. Another question the Bucks, of course, have to answer is the receiver position. We know that Mike Evans is going to be a starter, Chris Godwin, obviously, uh, but they've lost Adam Humphreys, who had like 70 catches plus last year as a uh, slot receiver. So, and you've also lost Deshaun Jackson, who's your speed guy. So you got Rashard Perriman and then uh, the rookie Scotty Miller. Those two guys are the deep threats. And they're going to have to step up and, and be able to stretch the field. Now, Mike Evans can get behind the defense, but he's going to have safeties covering him over the top. And, you know, he's more of a strider, so it takes him a few yards to get going. But Perriman, uh, you know, has just always been hurt. I mean, he's a kid from US, UCF. Um, last year, though, when he managed to play 10 games, um, he did average – a whopping 21.4 yards per catch, which is enormous. So the problem is he's only played 37 games in three seasons. Now Miller, while he's going to remind you of Adam Humphreys, maybe a little bit physically, he's not as stocky, but you know he's going to wear number 10, white slot receiver at times. But really, he's going to play outside more. In Bruce Arians' offense, the slot receiver has to block a lot, and they're not going to let uh, a smallish receiver with that kind of speed, you know, try to bang into outside linebackers. So. I think, uh, to me, you know, Miller uh, really sort of fills Jackson's role. He's more of a down-the-field deep threat, a guy that can return, uh, you know, punts perhaps. So you see him on special teams. And Winston, you know, doesn't throw a great deep ball, but he's going to have to get with these guys and, and create some chemistry in short order. Uh, the other guy to watch, of course, is Justin Watson. He's a second-year uh, pro from, from Penn. I think you'll see him in the slot sometime too. I'm not worried about their receivers if I'm a Bucks fan. I feel like, you know, even though they lost Humphreys, which was a great chemistry for Jameis and, and a guy that was uh, playing very, very well, I do think that they did a nice job of, uh, of finding some guys coming here and fill those roles. Maybe not one guy, but a combination of guys. Um, the other thing you're going to be watching, of course, is just how the secondary shakes out. I mean, we know that Vernon Hargraves and Carlton Davis will get the first bite of the apple. They're the returning starters, if you will. Hargraves missed all but one game last year, of course, and really two of his – Four seasons have been injury marred, but uh, we know that Todd Bowles loves to play press man-to-man, and that fits those guys, and it should be a better fit for both of them. So, uh, but nonetheless, they did they did not back down. They went out and they you know drafted three defensive backs, and all these guys are going to compete for starting jobs. I think Sean Murphy Bunting um, is going to be a guy that you're going to see at slot receiver early on. Jamel Dean had a really good off season from Auburn. He could push for a job. And the safety position is wide open. We still don't know what's up with Justin Evans. You know, he missed the offseason. He had the toe injury that put him on IR. And then uh, the other foot, he, he injured his heel, was in a boot at the end of OTAs. Uh, and then Mike Edwards, I think, uh, showed some great ball skills in the offseason. The kid from Kentucky, I think he could definitely emerge or push for a starting job at safety. Uh, the backup quarterback, not as important. Obviously, Jameis is going to go unopposed. So uh, basically you have Blaine Gabbert against Ryan Griffin. I don't see how Griffin wins this one unless Gabbert were to become injured or, or really really just play awful. 
Um, you know, Bruce Arians has had Gabbard in Arizona. The guy's won four of his last eight starts in the NFL. Did a good job in Tennessee when they needed him. So Gabbard knows the offense. is going to be a bigger asset to Winston in terms of that and his experience. And, and like I said, there's no competition for number one. I only think they'll keep uh, two quarterbacks and not three. Um, so that certainly will affect uh, Ryan Griffin as well. And then finally, the thing we always look for in Tampa Bay is the place-kinging job, right? <laughs> they drafted another guy uh, in the fifth round. Unbelievably, Jason Light, uh, you know, not backing down. He's going to get this right, I guess. But Matt Gay uh, is, is a bigger – he's a different body guy than you're used to seeing. Uh, the guy's like 230 pounds, and he can boom it. I mean, you, you know, the ball comes off his leg, has a different sound, uh, not a big effort guy from 50 yards. But he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to be consistent, and you know he's going up against, um, you know, Cairo Santos, who, who did a nice job when when everybody else melted down a year ago. He still only made seventy five percent of his kicks, but not a strong leg, not a big kickoff guy. That's fine because they got Bradley Pinion for that, who's the punter and does a nice job kicking off. Um, but I really I, I don't see how Matt Gay doesn't win this job unless he just completely stinks, and I also don't see how they'll know what they have until they get to the regular season because Matt Gay can make every kick in training camp, can hit him for 55 yards. But I'm here to tell you, until he lines up against the San Francisco 49ers at, at, at Raymond James, you know and I know that no one's going to know where the hell the ball's going. I mean, including him. Um, that's just been the legacy of Bucks kickers, man. So who knows uh, what's going to happen there. So a lot of questions that they got to answer. And uh, those are just, uh, I think, about nine or ten of them. You had one, too, as well. I, I've, got, I've got a question that, that this is my biggest question for this year. Sure. Because this is what the whole season's been sold on, is how good is Bruce Arians and his coaching staff? Mm-hmm. And I ask this because, so they're taking over, but it's the same GM as before on a That's team right. that had cap issues. So there's not yes. a lot of turnover on the roster. They swapped, essentially, McCoy for Indomitian and Sue. You drafted a lot of secondary guys. Yep. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's not here. You got Brashard Perryman. And Adam Humphreys right. is gone. You got Scotty Miller. You didn't really mm-hmm. touch the offensive line for the most part. No, you which, didn't Which wasn't a strength on this team. No. You re- did re-sign Donovan Smith as part of that. Your defensive mm-hmm. line has questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, Essentially, you swapped out Quan Alexander for Devin White. But there's not the turnover that you see on a lot of times when a new coach comes in. That's correct. And, and so I think we're going to find out just how good Arians and his staff is. And, and, and you, because essentially it's the same roster that they've had for the last couple of years. I mean, there's always new rookies and, and pieces here and there, but the bulk of it is the same. Well, you raise a great point. And, you know, you've got players that they drafted that, for whatever reason, have not developed. Um, Vernon Hargraves, of course, two mm-hmm. of the four years he's been hurt, but, you know, playing off. Uh, coverage, you know, that Mike Smith ran really didn't do anything for him. Carlton Davis, you know, wasn't very effective playing off. So if schematically these guys are, you know, were square pegs and round holes in the last defense and that this is really should fit them, then they should benefit from bolts. Look, I, I think I've been around long enough to know, you know, not that Dirk Cutter had a bad coaching staff. I mean, Mike Smith was, was just an abomination. I mean, I think the mm-hmm. game certainly passed him by for a while. Um, but, you know, he had okay coaches. This is the best coaching staff in terms of resume, experience, um, success, all that uh, that they have had really since John Gruden left. And I'm not making that up. I'm mm-hmm. not just saying that. I mean, it's true. 
Yeah. Go look at what, you know, and the other thing about these guys is they've been together, some of them, for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these guys played for Bruce Arians at Temple. Clyde Christensen coached with him there. Um, and it's, it's you know, so they know each other as a staff. They know their roles. They know what lanes to stay in. They've added to it, that's for sure. I mean, hell, there's like 30-something coaches, 32 coaches or something over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've they've been creative as well, you know, with the Roger Kingdoms and Chris Bonio and those guys. Um, as a speed coach and a kicking coach and all this sort of thing. But having said all that, this is by far um, really the best staff. And I think coaching clearly matters. I mean, how does Bill Belichick mm-hmm. get it to the Super Bowl every year, right? I mean, and he loses coordinators. He loses position coaches. And yet he goes out and finds guys to come in and, and do their job, as he says. So obviously, you know, the NFL is a coaching league. I mean, we saw, uh, you know, Sean McVay, you know, go to a Rams team where, you know, Jeff Fisher every, you know, was seven and nine every year. And then all of a sudden his first season, they're 13 and three. That didn't happen because they got a bunch of new talent. And, you know, Arian said as much. Look, I don't think Bruce Arians comes out of retirement if he thinks he's got to rebuild this franchise. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, he he's 66 years old, man. He ain't buying green bananas, right? So he, he wants to, uh, he wants to win right away. And he has said as much. He says, this is not a rebuild. Um, we're, we're here to win right away, and he thinks he can do it. He has the quarterback he wants. He got the GM he wants. Um, you know, and more importantly than that, he has said this, he got the coaching staff he wanted. If those guys or most of them had not been available, I don't think Bruce Arians comes out of retirement. He's already handing over the play-calling duties to Byron Leftwich, who's never done it before full-time, uh, especially in this offense. Um, you know, so he, he's already you know, designated some things that he used to do at Arizona but he has faith in these guys, and they all know how to work together. They know how what Bruce wants. And so I think people are going to be impressed. Look, you mm-hmm. don't win Coach of the Year twice in this league at two different places unless you know what the hell you're doing. So I would put a lot of faith in him. Now, is it a great football team? I don't think so. You know, I, I, I think they have young talent in spots, especially on defense. The defense to me, Steve, is, is the whole thing, right? I mean, you gave up 29 a game. So I don't care how Jameis or Fitzpatrick and those guys played. You were telling him, hey, go get us 30. We got a chance. I mean, come on. You know, I know it's a high-scoring NFL and all that. And, but offensively, I think, you know, if guys were to stay healthy, they, they'll be okay. You know, you can do some things to hide some, some places on the offensive line. They're not great up front. The left side's much better than the right. Uh, Ryan Jensen's got to play better at center. We'll see what, you know, Alex Kappa can do at right guard. We'll see what DeMar Dotson has in the tank. Um, but they couldn't address everything. And, you know, they don't have any salary cap room. they got about $3 bucks, so they can't do anything in free agency or on waivers very much. So this is their club. Let's see if they can coach their way out of this. Um, you know, I mean, the Bucks, they're, they're, they I always say this, they've, they've been for so long now, they've been between five and seven wins every year, right? In a really good year, they win eight. If it's exceptional, they win nine. They haven't won ten in a very, very long time since Raheem Morris. And if you go before that – you got to go all the way to Tony Dungy. So, uh, or, or I'm sorry, uh, John Gruden. So I think that, you know, they're going to be in that middle. The, the schedule is horrible. We can talk about that. I'm sure we will as the the days go on. But you're exactly right. This is about Bruce Arians and his staff because there has not been, aside from the young players, and let's face it, you can only get so much out of rookies. I'll say this. Devin White, he needs to make the Pro Bowl this year. Like they almost need that guy to be defensive rookie of the year. Now, they think he can do it. A lot of people are picking him to do it. Um, but that's what you need to hit on 
especially at the Mike linebacker position in this defense, for the Bucks defense to get that much better. You know, and Vita Vea has to become a stud. You know, he's got to be an absolute game wrecker. And Ndamukong Sue has to have one more really good year in him. Um, so there's a lot of things that have to happen well. But the biggest thing, I agree with you, man, 100%, it's coaching. Before we get out of here, we want to talk a little bit about uh, this, you know, Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I love them. I didn't get a chance. Here's the thing. I'm watching the Rays game, and I remember they're on TV, right? And and uh, I wanted to watch all those speeches. I did see Edgar Martinez. I've watched on the Internet um, a great uh, speech by Roy Holiday's uh, widow, uh, which I thought was tremendous. But um, – you made the point that they did this with 10 baseball games on today. They do it every year on a Sunday afternoon, and today there was 10 baseball games being played while the speeches were going on. Jeez. How are baseball fans supposed to get behind the greatest players of all time going in the Hall of Fame? Uh, you know, and I, I get, look, part of it is, is you're in Cooperstown, New York, where your Hall of Fame is, and you want to do it outdoors. That rules out the off season. That's right. So you can't do it then. So I don't. Do you extend the All Star break and and make it part of a, a long week long celebration of baseball, or how about not having Sunday night baseball on Sunday night and doing it Sunday afternoon or you know late afternoon evening instead? You know where baseball fans can all watch it. I mean, you know, I rem- I remember back in it was uh, two thousand in Cincinnati. There was four players and Marty Brenneman all went in from the Reds. It was a huge weekend up there, and I was working in Cincinnati. And while all the speeches and everything's going on, Tony Perez and Marty Brenneman and everybody's going in, we're working a Reds game. Yeah, it's a home wrong. game that weekend. And, you you know, your Reds fans are either at the game, which means they can't watch it and be a part of it, or they're at home instead not watching your broadcast and watching that. It just makes no sense. No, I agree with you. And they're, they're terrific to listen to, and you want to hear the speeches, and it's really a worthwhile event, especially, you know, this class was great. I don't know. I like your idea about the all-star break. I mean, you have just one game. You already have events, you know, the home and derby and all that stuff. Couldn't you take a day, some day in there, maybe even after the all-star game or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and have your night at Cooperstown because nobody's playing. They, you know, there's going to be a day where everybody has to go back and um, your all-stars have to go back. And so there's, you know, a couple of days in between Tuesday and when they start playing again on Thursday or Friday, maybe in there would be a good time. So I, I agree with you. These things are worthwhile. You know, the NFL – does a nice job because, the, first of all, they don't have that many games. You know, they have the Hall of Fame game, which is an extra preseason game. But they do it. They used to do it the same day as the game. Now they do it the night before. The game is the next day. So uh, there's no conflict. You can watch it. It's in prime time. It's really great. Um, I would have liked to sat there and watched all of them. But, I was, frankly, I was switching over and watching the Rays. So, you know, that that's, that's certainly to your point. But um, they were good, and uh, I encourage everybody to go back and, 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 you know, of course, Mario and Rivera, right? I mean, the only guy that's an unanimous vote by the baseball writers, which is incredible when you think about it. Um, saw some pretty good interviews with him. So uh, really worthwhile event there. And then uh, I watched in the morning the Open Championship over in Ireland won by an Irishman. What yeah, about that? And it wasn't Rory McIlroy, which is the one everyone was <laughs> predicting right. to win. That's right. Shane Lowry. Uh, who started the day with a, a pretty good lead and maintained it. I think he shot one over for the day. But at one point, uh, for about five or six holes there, it was the worst conditions. I mean, this was vintage, right, uh, open championship over in uh, England where the rain was coming in sideways, the wind was just howling 25 miles an hour, and these guys somehow, you know, just played through and had to survive it. But uh, 
it was really cool. Like you could like this is one of those Hollywood things, right? You can't can't script it. I mean, the the Open Championship had not been in Ireland for sixty eight years or something like that. It seems like, um, and uh, since like nineteen what fifty one, uh, and you know, and for good reason too. You had a lot of you know civil unrest and and that sort of thing. But you go over there and. You know, I, I can't help but think that the pressure did this to Roy. You know, when Roy McIlroy teed off on Thursday, he took an eight on the first hole. <laughs> I mean, you can't tell me he wasn't a bundle of nerves, right? The most famous Irish golfer in the world, uh, not far right there uh, from where the, the tournament was played, played that course as a boy. He shot a 61 um, on that course when he was 15. Yeah, so, I mean, they've changed it, of course, for the Open, but nonetheless, I mean, so many expectations and – um, you know, such a such an emotional time um, that he wound up taking an eight on the first hole, and that you know, that effectively you know forced him to miss the cut. And um, in fact, Tiger, we talked about going into it, he missed the cut. Looked broken. Looked old, by the way. Looked really not in a good place physically uh, with those with that wind and the cold. And uh, he just said, "Look, I haven't been playing much golf, and I didn't. I wasn't feeling good." You know, um, so he he missed the cut. First time that that Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods missed a cut. In, in major tournaments. It's never happened where they both in the same major uh, were unable to play on Saturday. Um, so there were a lot of Irish, some other Irish golfers, you know, kind of falling to the wayside. But, yeah, Lowry, Lowry was just – he was nails. And it was dramatic, and it was – you know, the crowd obviously was pumped. Um, so it was a pretty cool event. Didn't have really the excitement as far as, you know, was somebody going to overtake him at the end? But um, but it was it was a, a pretty cool thing to see. And this was the last major in the 2010s or tens, and so mm-hmm. there was I believe there were, I saw the stat 29 different major winners in this decade. Wow! In the previous decade, Tiger won 12 mm-hmm. himself. So a lot more different winners in this this 10 year span of, of golf majors. Because there's four a year, so there's 40 obviously in the decade. So. Yeah, it's it, it's it's incredible. It was fun to watch, though. I enjoyed, of course, the, any major tournament, and uh, and this was a good one as well. On very early, though, you got to get up early to watch it. Kind of nice that you had your afternoon when it finished. So we got a busy week. Obviously, I mentioned the rookies are already in camp. We don't have access to, to talk to them, but we will have uh, news about the rookies, of course, as uh, as they progress. And then on Thursday, um, the Bucks veterans, the full squad, will report. We'll be at One Buck Place. You can read all the coverage on TampaBay.com. Of course, we'll have it here. Probably do a roundtable over there, maybe with Ed Encina and some other guys from the Tampa Bay Times. We're gonna have a mailbag this week, so you can get your questions in on that. Chris Torello will probably join us, I think, early in the week. So we got a Neil Solans busy will be with us podcast. on uh, Wednesday's Neil, podcast. Yeah. That's right. We got Neil Solans, the Rays pre and post game host, to talk about what their situation is there. So. Lots of good stuff coming your way. And, of course, football is back, folks. This is where you want to keep it, right here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. And you can always ask us questions. All you have to do, you don't have to wait for a mailbag, but if you want to get them in early, uh, send them to us on Twitter, at uh, Sports Day TB. My Twitter address is at uh, NFL Stroud or email me at rstroud at tampabay.com. So for Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Monday, everybody.